Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Here for the Crack with me, Emma Neil. I hope you're all doing well. I'm sitting here in my bedroom back in Leeds. I got back yesterday morning. Oh my god, it's so brutal getting up at five o'clock for a flight. And then you have those weird naps on the plane where nothing is real. Or I don't, how do you even describe those weird naps where you keep waking yourself up, your mouth open, you're banging off the window in the plane. Very uncomfortable. Also, don't know what noises I was making because I had my headphones on. Does anyone else get this when you wear headphones where you're really paranoid about what noises are coming out of you? Because you wouldn't know. Like, you actually wouldn't have a clue. I'm always so paranoid that I'm breathing really loudly or that I'm, like, snorting and don't realise. Anyway, I made it here in one piece. I actually did fly back. I flew back on Tuesday morning because I had a class on Tuesday at 11am. So I thought, I really don't want to be here any longer than necessary. Like if I have, say I came at the weekend and I had a weekend here to kill, it would not be good for me, I don't think. I think I would spiral. So I was like, I'll literally just fly there for when I have my first class. And then I got here and the class got cancelled. But I was actually very, very happy about it because I was really toying between whether I should go or not. Like I knew I obviously should have gone considering I literally flew here to go to it. But I was like, oh, I'm so tired. Do I just go to and have a nap? I think I got back to my flat at about 9am and the class was at 11. I was like, I do have time for a little nap. Should I set an alarm? Should I go in? Luckily, I put up a story on my Instagram being like, will I go to my class today that I literally flew here for or will I just sleep? And thank God I put that up in my story because then a couple of people that are on my course replied to it being like, it's cancelled, babe. Buzzing. If I, no, sorry, how shit of a day would it have been if I'd had to wake up at five o'clock, fly to Leeds, be on the verge of a mental breakdown, then go into class, then find out the class is cancelled once I've already got the bus to class and then have to get the bus home? Mm-mm, no, I, no, I think I'd be on a plane back to Belfast if that was the case. No, I'm joking, I wouldn't actually be on a plane back to Belfast. I had a lovely day yesterday. Well, because I didn't have my class on, I was able to frolic around headingly, get coffee, get a nice sandwich, do my food shop, go to the gym, unpack. Is anyone else very freaked out about the fact that you're going to have to condense two rooms worth of things into one when you leave uni? Because I just don't know how I've accumulated all of this stuff and what I'm going to do with all of it. I don't want to just get rid of it. Like, it's all my stuff. But surely I can't bring all that over, over the water. I don't know. 
because when I was unpacking my suitcase yesterday and I was just looking at all my clothes and I was like Emma you have a full wardrobe and chest of drawers back in Belfast and now I have a full I've actually I think I have more clothes here I think I've got two wardrobes full plus a chest of drawers here that is obscene like that is actually not normal I need to do a big clear out ASAP anyway I'm literally only here for two days I have to go off to London tomorrow so I don't even really have time to get settled I'm going to class this afternoon and then I'm also going tomorrow morning and then I'm off to London thank god there's weather warnings in Leeds I'm getting blown away every time I leave the house when I first arrived it was like blue sky sunny and I was like oh my god such a nicer Leeds to when I last saw it because obviously when I last was here it was like mid-December dark at 3pm and now it's obviously changed a lot and then the next day it was just like nope grey windy dark freezing cold love that I was like yeah this is the Leeds I remember Oh my god, I'm really shit-talking Leeds, aren't I? I actually really don't dislike it at all, even though it probably sounds like I do right now. I actually think Leeds is a really great city, and if you're listening to this and you're considering coming to uni here or anything, it's a really good uni city, so please don't let me put you off it. I feel like anywhere in the north of England and Ireland, like I don't know why I'm speaking of Leeds weather being like this, when I know fine rightly Belfast is exactly the same. But yeah, I feel like just anywhere in the north of England is just a bit grey and miserable. There's no escaping that. If you know, if you want blue skies every day, go to London. Okay, let's move on to my recommendation of this week. It's actually going to be another 0% alcohol. I know I had already recommended. I think I was a good... That was back in December. You know, when I recommended the 0% Frexanet sparkling Prosecco rosé thing. I really liked that one. So I have another non-alcoholic beverage recommendation and it is a beer this time hands down my favorite beer I feel like I have actually tried a substantial amount of beers I have I've really slacked on the spirits that's what I will say I don't think I actually ended up trying any more non-alcoholic spirits after I tried the clean co gin I'm pretty sure I didn't I I saw loads in the shop but I was like I'm not gonna get through a full bottle of that whereas like so easy to just buy one beer also beer would kind of be my go-to drink not to beer's not my go-to drink for a night out when I'm getting drunk because you'd just be I don't know I'd feel so heavy like you have to consume so much of it so then you end up just feeling very heavy and lethargic beer is definitely my go-to drink when I just want like one or two drinks or if I'm like going on for dinner or if I'm having something in the house it's always beer for me I love a good IPA I like some Belgian beers what else do I like I'm quite fussy about lagers I like certain ones I like Burra Moretti and I like Corona's lager right I like Corona I like Erdinger and I actually really like the 0% Erdinger anyway if you've been keeping up with my non-alcoholic recommendations on my Instagram you'll know that I tried one very recently that was hands down my favorite and it was the I'm gonna butcher the way you say this but I did look it up I've been calling it Hefe my whole life I say my whole life I've only known what this beer is for the last year or two. So I've been calling it Hefe. It's definitely not. Apparently it's called Lef. Apparently it's an L. (laughs) But yeah, it's this Belgian blonde beer. You'll most likely have seen it before in a supermarket. It's probably like the most, not the most, yeah, maybe the most popular Belgian beer that's kind of drank in the UK because it is kind of the one that I see most often. And they're 0% one tastes identical to the real one to the point that I was like am I gonna get drunk off of this (laughs) 
It was so good. I bought a pack of six of them and me and my mum drank them on the Friday night and then me and my friend drank them on Saturday night. My mum and my friend both said that it was really good and tasted exactly like the real thing. I'm really weird with Belgian beers. They're very lover-hate, but also there's a lot of variety within them. Like, I remember going to a couple Belgian bars in... Belgian beer bars in Amsterdam, and there were some I would try, and I'd be like, oh my god, like, how does anyone drink that? It literally tastes like acid, like fizzy acid. And then there were other ones that were just so smooth and... I don't know how to describe them, to be honest. I don't think I'm a very good describer of any alcohol. I can describe cocktails quite well, but see, when it comes to wines and beers, see all those different words? Don't have a clue. But Belgian beers don't tend to be fruity. They're not like a fruity IPA or anything. They're more, oh, it's so hard to describe and I'm not even going to try and do it. Do you know this is really bad as well? Because there's been times I've worked in bars and restaurants where I need to know how to be able to describe stuff. And I just completely milk it every time. (laughs) Like I used to work at this really bougie bar in Sydney and you'd get really posh Australian people coming in. People coming in from their office jobs as well, you know, like the top dogs. You could just tell, like they were just oozing wealth, like the way they were getting on. They would ask me for the most ridiculous things and I would properly milk it every time. Just pretend I knew what I was talking about. They'd ask for a specific, you know, they say they didn't know a brand that they wanted but they were describing the type of flavor profile that they wanted and they'd be like oh my god yeah I know exactly the one for you and I'd go and get it and pour them it and they'd be like oh that is just divine and I was like I know it's one of our best ones to be honest they probably don't know what they're talking about half the time as well so that's probably why I got away with it anyway you should all try the Lef Belgian blonde 0% beer by the way that is spelt L-E-F-F-E I got it in Tesco's it's a brown bottle, yellow label. Go on my Instagram highlight. I've got a dry January Instagram highlight where I've been rating all the non-alcoholic stuff that I've been trying over the last month and you'll see a photo of it on there. Right, okay, my words of the week for this week. Another one I saw on Instagram. See, since I've started liking cute little quotes and I don't know, those little like illustration quote pages and things. Annoy on my explore page, I get so many of them and it's just such a nice place to be. So this was another one I found on Instagram. I woke up with a healthy body and working organs. I woke up knowing when my next meal is coming. I woke up able to shower. I woke up in the comfort of my own bed. I woke up with clothes to wear. I woke up with my favourite people still in my life. I woke up grateful. This isn't to minimise your problems at all or to say that, you know, when you're feeling downer and you're feeling bad that you shouldn't feel any of those things because you've got all these things to be grateful for. It's not saying that at all. It's more just, you know, everyday you can be grateful for having those things. It doesn't cure anything else, but it does kind of make you think, at least I've got these things in my life. At least I've got a support system. At least I've got a roof over my head. If everything comes shattering down around me, I've still got this solid base. And that is something to be super grateful for. Okay, let's move on to this week's topic. I'm back with another episode of Girly Chats. I feel like it has been quite a while since I've done one, so I'm excited to get into it, but I'm also low-key a little bit scared because I don't really feel in the position to be dishing out advice right now. (laughs) Oh, here, see, before I get into this. So I will just say, I forgot to say this when we were talking about non-alcoholic stuff there. So it's actually the 1st of February when I'm recording this. I know it'll be a few days after that when you're listening to this. But is anyone else who's done dry January a little bit scared to drink again? Like, 
I just feel a bit anxious about it. And also I'm reading the Sober Girl Society handbook. Day by day it's putting me off more and more drinking anything. I feel like I'm really not vulnerable to, but what's the word? I'm a sucker for doing any oh oh my god I don't know how to frame it because I don't have like an unhealthy obsession with like I'm not an all-encompassing health freak I don't have like orthorexia or anything you know when people like obsess over only eating healthy and stuff like that like I'm literally not like that whatsoever I eat whatever I want I get you know sweet treats pretty much on the daily I order takeaways like I'm not like a proper health freak but I am really into my health in a lot of ways, like all my supplements and making sure like I'm getting all my nutrition, protein, that kind of thing. You know, in the summer I'd be into like my green smoothies and green juices, making my own granola, like superfood granola, that type of thing. So I am kind of into it. So then see when I see when someone frames this whole alcohol talk, this sober curious talk shall we call it like in this book that I'm reading and they base it on your health I am very like oh (laughs) maybe I should call it a day with this then I don't know I am a bit anxious about this weekend I don't know what I'm gonna do if I'm gonna drink or not so I'll report back but I'm actually gonna do a full episode on this I've decided once I've finished the book that I'm reading which will hopefully be by next week I'm gonna do a full episode talking about sober curiosity shall we say. I know I did one before and it was called Navigating My Relationship with Alcohol, I think. But I think I was maybe in a different headspace about it all then. Not that a lot has changed, but some things have changed. My mindset has maybe changed a little bit. I do think I have a better relationship with alcohol since that episode. And I think it'd be interesting to do one that's maybe more talking about all the different kind of aspects that come with Yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud here, but I'll obviously get into that in that episode. Right, let's get into all your dilemmas. Thank you all for sending me them in, for trusting me with giving you some probably terrible advice. First up, how to deal with a friend's toxic boyfriend when she refuses to leave him? Oh, I've been in this situation before and it's really difficult to navigate. The last thing you want to do is start going in on the boyfriend to her because... That's just going to make her distance herself from you. It's going to make her stop talking to you about things to do with him because she's just going to think that every time she does, that's what she's going to get back. Maybe even to the point where she'll start to lie to you about things because she knows what your reaction is going to be. I think the way to frame this is to start asking her, is she okay? And start saying little things like, you know, I've been noticing you don't seem yourself or you seem a bit down what's been going on, that type of thing. Get her to start thinking that she's not being herself and something's affecting her and then she has to examine that. You can also definitely say little things about the boyfriend, things like, you know, that's not normal or someone in your life shouldn't make you feel that way. But definitely approach it more like that as opposed to he's a dickhead, he's a moron, like you're a moron for staying with him. I don't think that's going to get either of you anywhere. You can even do like little things like send them send them podcasts that are talking about toxic relationships or sometimes TikToks come up about it, forward that on to them. <laughs> this really is one of those ones where there's only so much you can do, you know, you can be there for your friend, you can spend time with them, you can tell them things aren't normal, you can tell them that they don't see themselves but at the end of the day it's gonna be them that has to kind of figure it out for themselves and realise what they're in and get themselves out of it. 
And yes, you can get it into their head and you can get them questioning things. Maybe show your stance a little bit on it or talk about, you know, your experiences with toxic relationships with them and maybe get them to relate to that and think, oh yeah, maybe this is toxic, but yeah, ultimately they are just going to have to figure it out for themselves and it's really hard to watch and sometimes it does go on for way, way, way too long, but at least they'll come out of it not resenting you like they may have, you know, if you turned on them for it or maybe they would have fallen out with you if you had kept going in on the boyfriend type of thing. So yeah, at least they'll come out of it thanking you (laughs) for the tips. I'm moving in with my boyfriend this year. I'm excited, but also really nervous. Any tips? I feel like people think that moving in with your partner is just like the next step and it's going to bring you closer and it's the best way to like move forward with your relationship, all this. And I really don't agree with it that much. I think if anything, it probably requires more effort and I'll explain why. I personally am in absolutely no rush to move in with anyone. I like my own space. I like having my time to myself. And I don't really fancy sharing wardrobes with anyone. Like I, <laughs> I don't know. I just like my, I really don't want to share a bathroom with a boy. Yeah, I think if I was to be ever be in the place to move in with someone, I would like to be able to afford to have our own rooms. <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds. And not necessarily that you would sleep separately like you'd probably end up sleeping in the same bed together every night but your own little room like your own sanctuary with your stuff and your wardrobe your dressing table and all your makeup and they can have their room with their xbox and with their i don't know whatever the fuck they want to have in there they can have that because it doesn't matter because you're not sharing a room however i know that this is not that realistic like especially with rent prices now it's not always feasible to be able to do this and i've been in the situation where not that i had to move in with my ex-boyfriend but it just made sense financially for us to move in and share the, the price of the rent in that apartment. Like I don't, yeah, I probably wouldn't have been able to afford to do it on my own or I definitely would have had to have lived in a different area anyway. I think I'm just really of the opinion that you're going to spend your whole life living with people, with your partner and with your family realistically. Like most people, once they're married, that's them. They live with their family for the rest of their life. I was going to say, let's say from when you're 30, but that just seems way too soon for me to say. So I'm going to say from 40, okay? 40 is the new time to get married. And from that time, you're committing to never living on your own again. So I just think live it up while you can. Live on your own while you can. But let's get back to the question because that's not what she's asking. (laughs) She's already said she is moving in with her boyfriend, which is actually really exciting. But I just mean you can't expect it to be all like roses and rainbows. So some of my tips for navigating this are first of all making sure that you are still sticking to your normal routines and plans you know if you normally go to the gym with a friend on a Monday morning if you normally go to a dance class with a friend on a Thursday night like make sure you're not getting too comfortable because you live with your partner and not doing those things Because if you end up sacrificing your life and your hobbies and your things that make you happy for someone else, you're going to hate them for it. My next tip is to make sure you're splitting roles within the house. Sometimes someone is just a better cook and they will just gravitate to making dinner every night. But if that is the case, the other person needs to pull their weight in other ways. Maybe the other person is the one that always puts on the washing 
or that always cleans the bathroom. Do you know what I mean? Like there's ways of balancing things out. It doesn't have to be so, okay, you're cooking dinner Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'll do the other days. And you know, you don't need to complicate it and do like a big cleaning rota type of situation like the way people in chair houses do. But there does need to be a balance of work that's being done in the house so that it doesn't all end up on one person and then they are first of all knackered and second of all really resentful of the other person for not pulling their weight. My third and final tip is to make sure that you are still making plans with each other. I think it's so easy when you move in with someone to think that you spend loads of time together just because you're living together so you don't need to make plans. But in reality, a lot of the time you spend together, it's not quality time. You might be in each other's company, but a lot of the time, you know, you're on your phones, you're watching TV, you're getting ready for work, you're not communicating, you're not sitting down with each other. Like, you still need to make that time to spend quality time with each other. Maybe it is still in the house, you know, maybe it's making a rule where you can't have any phones at the dinner table and you don't play the TV. Like, it's your time to sit down and talk to each other and, you know, brief each other on your days or... Maybe it's getting in the habit of going out for like weekly date nights. Whatever it is, just make sure you're allowing yourself time to have, you know, quality time together, actually spent communicating with each other and not just lying in bed next to each other because that's, you know, it's not going to do anything for your relationship. Okay, next dilemma. Been seeing someone for three months, all going great, and then all of a sudden he just ghosts me out of the blue. Any advice? Oh, there's a real special place in hell for people that ghost people after three months. What is that about? I completely understand why people would ghost someone after, like, one date. I get that. I mean, it would be bigger and better of you to just text them, yes. However a lot of people aren't mature enough for that so I would understand if there was a ghosting happening after one date but three months that is like a chunk of your year it's so rude it's honestly just rude more than anything to not even give someone the time of typing out a small text like that does not take long and you don't even have the balls to do that I bet he either freaked out because it was getting serious or maybe an ex came back onto the scene and he doesn't want to have to tell you that. I don't know. Whatever it is, this boy doesn't know how to communicate and you don't want to be with him anyway. Someone that ghosts someone after three months isn't someone that you would want to be in a relationship with. So that will give you peace at night to think that, well, they weren't for me. What's meant for you will not pass you by. I don't hate my course, but I don't see myself getting a career in it any advice oh do you know what I really don't think this matters these days like people do just do uni courses they enjoy without saying what career they're going to get out of it at the end and it really doesn't matter it does just show at the end of the day that you're able to get a degree and apply yourself and yeah do everything that comes with getting a degree so I wouldn't worry that there's not like a clear path set in stone I feel like for most people this is the case unless you're doing like medicine or something along those lines where you know you have to do that course to get into a specific job people now just see degrees as like stepping stones it just gives you time to figure out things as well you know if you are gonna do something where it does require having a degree behind you nine times out of ten it's never a specific degree so you'll be fine don't worry how do you improve your relationship with exercise after eating disorders etc okay you need to stop viewing exercise as punishment for eating certain foods because that's ultimately what you view it as when you have an eating disorder you think 
I'm going to burn more calories exercising to punish myself for eating a certain thing or whatever it was. Start thinking of exercise as being something that you need for your mental health and to get your body moving in the morning or in the evening or whenever you like to work out. You want to enjoy it and to have fun like the way you would with other hobbies. So maybe it's a case of finding a form of exercise that you do like that doesn't feel like punishment. You know, if before you were punishing yourself by going on the treadmill, maybe you just need to scrap the treadmill altogether and start going to dance classes or start weight training. I know for a lot of people, like seeing the calories burned on the the machines and stuff at the gym can be like a bit triggering so a lot of the time people like switching to weight training because you're focusing more on you know how strong you can get and how heavy you can lift and stuff which can be quite empowering and also motivating to keep going but yeah you definitely just need to find something that you enjoy that you don't view as a punishment that you don't view as like a way of losing weight you see it for everything else that it comes with for the benefit that it brings to your mental clarity for the way you feel you know you feel on top of the world and all the happy hormones are being released when you're dancing or whatever it is maybe even just make it more of a social thing and start doing like workout kind of things with your friends walks with your friends book into classes with your friends and then maybe you're not focusing so much on achieving a certain goal but more doing a hobby with your friend Okay, next dilemma. Feeling like my therapist just isn't working with me anymore. Do I break it off with her? Yes, 100%. If you told her this, she would want you to break it off with you. Like no therapist wants you to be in a situation where you don't feel like it's benefiting you. They'll feel bad as well about that because they'll not want you to think you're wasting your money and they'll not want to think that they can't help you. So 100%. I know it's really hard though to communicate this and you don't have to be honest. No one wants to email their therapist or say to them face to face or on Zoom or whatever it is and be like, you're not helping me anymore. I'm getting a new therapist. Like you don't need to be so brutal. You can just say it. I don't know, make up another excuse. Say you feel like you're doing much better and you don't need her help anymore. Or maybe say that you know your mum's friend is starting has started to become a therapist and to save some money you're going to change to them because they're offering you mates rates like you don't need to say you're not working for me I mean you can if you want to but if the thought of that scares you and that's what's stopping you from breaking it off then definitely just make up something else they would rather you made an excuse and did that and got a new therapist than continuing to see them 100% I've been with my boyfriend for six months now and I'm really in love and happy. But he told me last week that in the first week of our relationship, he kissed another girl. It's his first relationship and he has matured a lot since then, which is obviously not an excuse, but I can't decide if I'm making the right decision in staying. Like I said, we're super happy and in love and he was upfront and very apologetic, but I hope I'm not making the wrong choice. It honestly sounds like to me that he is really come to terms with this and wanted to be open and honest with you about it so that in his own head he can move forward and stop feeling guilty about it which kind of shows to me as well that he doesn't ever intend on doing it again. I mean I know you're obviously gonna question this but this just sounds like a very positive thing to me like obviously yeah it's not a positive thing that he did that but I think it's a very positive thing that he's come to you and told you like at the end of the day it was the first week of your relationship he could have so easily brushed that under the rug and it never get brought up again. No I don't think you're making the wrong decision by staying with him at all to be honest. I think 
yeah you know if more had happened there'd obviously be more for you to think about but it just sounds like to me he is really regretful and remorseful and wants to move forward in his own head and you to know that that's never going to happen again within your relationship okay opinions on boys slash girls holidays while being in a relationship and someone else actually said I'm really scared that my boyfriend's going to cheat on me when he goes to Magaluf, even though he's really not the type, but I'm just scared that the boys will, like, their behaviour will egg him on. This is always such an interesting topic of conversation, and you know what? I do kind of think it comes down to what the friend group is like, as bad as that sounds, because you're right, like, someone can have the best intentions and not be that kind of person but if they're put in that environment and maybe the rest of the boys are really like that and they egg them on loads and they convince them that there's nothing wrong with it how do you know how they're going to react in that situation but then there's the other way around where you know the boys or the girl group whatever whoever the friend group is they're not like that at all and they're really chill and maybe a few of them are in relationships and they would not want that to happen while being in their company so it won't so I do think it kind of the friends are definitely like the main factor in this because they're like the facilitators of what's gonna how it's gonna play out I personally have never had an issue with it but I think I am a very trusting person until someone gives me a reason not to and you know in the case of all of my previous boyfriends if they ever were going on holidays like that I had no reason not to trust them so why would I not have trusted them You know, if they came back and that had happened, then it's a whole other different story. Maybe then I'd be weird about it in the future. But up until now, that's not been the case for me. But I can imagine, you know, if that had happened to you before, either in that relationship or in a previous relationship where someone had gone off on a lad's holiday and cheated on you, I'm sure it'd be very triggering now for your new boyfriend to be going off on one. Okay, moving on to the next dilemma. I really don't get on with my fiancé's mum and sister. I have genuinely tried so hard to be kind and friendly with them, but I seem to only get a cold slash mean slash subtly bitchy response back from them. I've been with my partner for seven years and I'm getting to the point now where I am fed up of putting in so much effort, but only getting so much back. What's your opinion on distancing yourself from your partner's family? I want to get on with them so much, but when you're putting in this much time and energy and getting met with a harsh response, it can really knock you back down. I'm usually all for not wasting energy on people who don't make you feel good, but it's really difficult when the people that don't make you feel good are going to be your in-laws imminently. Any advice would be much appreciated. Just as an example of comments they make, when his sister had a birthday recently, his mum pulled me to the side and asked me not to look too nice for her birthday meal so that I didn't look nicer than her and ruin her birthday. It's really difficult coming to terms with the fact that Okay, so everyone's family dynamic is very different. Everyone, you know, gets on with their parents differently. People are different levels of closeness, do different types of things with their parents, see them a certain amount of times, like, and it all is so varying. But I feel like when you're younger, you just think, like, you just live in your own little bubble. So you just think that everyone else is kind of like what you are with your parents. And it's not really until... I think that you have boyfriends or girlfriends where you kind of discover that that's not the case because obviously with friends you don't really see it so much but it's when you really spend a lot of time with someone or like in their home in their family home or even like not in their home if they live out 
you'll still be able to see, you know, how much they do go home and how much they see their parents and stuff. I pretty quickly learned in my first relationship that I wasn't really going to have a relationship with the other person's family. And I kind of, I think because it was my first relationship, I used to think, not that it wasn't normal, but that I don't want to say that it wasn't fair. (laughs) Because that sounds really ridiculous. But basically, I was kind of jealous of what he had with my family and the fact that I didn't have that with his family. And that's nothing, that's not his fault and that's not his family's fault. But it just kind of was like, oh, I wish I kind of had that same relationship that you have with my family. I think as I got older, I realized that that was just unrealistic. And I am just very blessed to have the relationship that I do have with my family and you also can't that can't be a deciding factor in a really not that it would have ever been a deciding factor but you know that can't be a negative aspect to someone people have different family dynamics and that is just like a very small part of them like their morals and values and who they are as a person is a lot more than you know their relationship with their family although it does also well it can in certain situations it can maybe mean something but it's not really like a huge important issue or anything like that and I maybe not that I thought it was an issue I don't really know how to describe it but I do think it was a jealousy thing more than anything anyway I'm well over that and have very much come to terms with the fact that I will probably 100% well not 100% but I will very likely will not have that same relationship and that's fine you can't expect that however what you do expect from your partner's family is you know, a bit of kindness and respect, which doesn't really sound like is what's going on here. The thing is, you don't want this to be a whole, you don't want to make this into a big thing and it be a big palaver because that just causes so much tension. But what you could maybe do, I don't know if you've spoken to him about it, to your partner, but I do think it'd definitely be worth speaking to him, maybe using a couple of the things that they said, like telling him exactly what they said as a few examples getting him to say something but not something that's like hugely confrontational because it sounds like if he came at them and was massively confrontational and it turned into this big thing they would almost hold a bit more grudginess towards you and I think he also needs to say it not in a way of oh she told she asked me to say something but more in like a oh you know the other week when we came home from that dinner Sophie let's say your name is Sophie was really upset by your comment she didn't want me to say anything but you know I just thought I would have a word like it's no big deal but just you know maybe think about that thing before think before you speak essentially it's really difficult though because you know if this is a middle-aged to old woman are you really going to be able to change her or change the way she thinks and how she speaks to people probably not but could you get her to be a little bit more considerate yes I would say so. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to distance yourself slightly, even if they're going to be your in-laws. Like, you don't have to be overly close to your in-laws. Yes, you should definitely be on good terms with them because it's just going to make your life so much easier, you know, in times where it is birthdays and Christmas and all these different family events. Like, obviously, it's going to be so much easier if you just get on. But that doesn't mean you need to be in their company 24-7 and you can say no to the odd dinner and you can avoid seeing them where not necessary. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that, especially if being in their company doesn't make you feel good. 
All right, next dilemma. Hey girl, absolutely love you and the pod. Wondering if you have any advice for me at the moment. I'm in probably the most healthy and happy relationship I've been in and I adore this boy so much. It really feels like we're equals and can, for the most part, communicate pretty well. However, recently I've been feeling a little bit neglected, like maybe he's not as interested in me and can't help myself from spiralling in doubts. I've got a big feeling this is because my main love language is physical touch, whereas he's quite a mix, so I think maybe if he's not showing me lots of physical affection, I get in these funks. I don't know, I think it could be useful to try and communicate this to him, but don't want to be asking for affection or making him feel like he needs to do the stuff that doesn't come naturally to him all the time. Okay, first of all, could I just say, me and probably so many other people listening to this have 100% related to this at some point in their life. It's so easy to spiral in your own head about someone, you know, going off of you or maybe not loving you as much as you thought they did, all because they're not communicating love in the same way that you kind of like to receive it. And that's why the love language conversation is really important. I understand that you don't want to feel like you're asking him to do something he doesn't feel comfortable doing. Like, no one wants anyone to be uncomfortable in these situations. However, there's nothing wrong with you sitting down and just saying sometime that your main love language is physical touch and sometimes when he's not like that with you, it makes you feel a certain way. By saying that, you're not asking him to be the most PDA, physical affection, holding hands, kissing in public. You're not asking him to do that. You're asking him just to be a little bit more conscious of it and, you know, where he is comfortable being more affectionate to try and be considerate of that and to make sure that you still feel loved. You're not asking for too much, you know, asking for someone to give you reassurance by being a bit more affectionate is not asking for too much. And if all it takes is them being a little bit more affectionate where possible to make you feel secure and happy when you go to sleep at night, then they'll definitely want, well, they should want (laughs) to change that and to make that the case. Okay, next one. Hey gal, dilemma for the pod. Loving someone who you've been with for such a long time, more than three years, but unsure if you're in love with them anymore. Kind of wanting to experience the single life as never have as an adult, but don't want to make a massive mistake. A couple of my friends and I have been discussing this a lot recently. I have also discussed this with friends recently and we came to the conclusion that I think when you're in a relationship for this kind of time, more than three years, things do become very comfortable and very, what's the word, not monotonous, I guess monotonous in a way, yes, but also you just get used to things and you start to question things. It's kind of at that point where it's very serious. And you start to question whether it's the right thing for you, whether you should be feeling butterflies, maybe you miss the kind of honeymoon period that you had at one point. And even if there's absolutely nothing wrong in the relationship, like they could literally treat you like a princess, nothing has changed whatsoever, but yet you still have these doubts. And I just want to say, I think that is like completely normal and I don't think there's anyone in this whole world that's been in a long-term relationship or, you know, that's been about to get married or that is married and hasn't thought these thoughts, but not everyone voices them. Even the people 
that you think like imagine the couple you know that are the most compatible amazing loved up couple maybe it's one of your friend's parents and they're just like your absolute inspiration when it comes to relationships even they have had these doubts like even they have laid in bed at night and thought oh my god is this it should I be single is this the right thing for me I just think it's really normal to start questioning everything it's just kind of like how your brain reacts your brain naturally freaks out when you start to think that that could be your partner for the rest of your life you can start to think do I even love them anymore or am I just so used to them at this point that I don't really know what I feel towards them or maybe because you don't feel you know those butterflies and that excitement that you once had you think that's what love was so now that you don't have that you're like oh do I even love them to be honest I can't really sit here and tell you whether you do love them or not anymore (laughs) it's not really something I can make judgment on but what you should know is that just because you're having these doubts doesn't mean that you don't love them because everyone has these doubts How do you feel about getting back out there after a relationship? I feel like all the boys I speak to slash dates I go on feel so meaningless and fake and it's been over a year now. Right, this is the thing about dating after being in a serious relationship. You need to stop thinking of dating as dating to find a boyfriend and you need to just start seeing dating as a bit of crack, you know, a nice dinner a nice bar to go for drinks in, maybe a new friend that you've made. When you date to find a boyfriend, like with that soul thing in your head, all you're going to do is make yourself miss that person even more because you're going to compare everyone to them and it's not going to be the same because a first date with someone is never going to be the same as what your serious relationship was. It's just going to make you think, I'm never going to have that same connection. I'm never going to have that same bond. Like no one's ever going to match them the same way. But you're only thinking like that because you're not over them. And because in your head, you're thinking, how can I replace them? Or how can I get better than them? You replace them, but it be better. Realistically, you're not going to find a boyfriend until you're fully over that person. So just start treating dating as a bit of crack. It doesn't have to take up you know, your Saturday night that you would have spent with friends. It can be a Thursday night drink. It can be a little pre-going out drink. You know, if you're going out with your friends in the evening, meet them before for one. It doesn't even have to be, I feel like we always think of of dates as being very centred around alcohol, which, I mean, it's kind of fair enough. Dates are scary enough as they are. So sometimes you do need a little helping hand where that's concerned that is one thing that I just really don't know how people ever do completely sober see people that meet up like see people over lockdowns that were doing first date walks oh could never be me but yeah I have a friend who definitely was going through this and every time she'd go on a date she'd be like it's honestly just making me feel like shit because all I'm doing is comparing them to my ex and once she just started seeing them all as a bit of fun and more people to meet in the city that she's in then it completely flipped it for her. Another person wants some advice on imposter syndrome. They've said they feel dumber than everyone at uni and like they're not doing enough which I relate to very much. 
I always feel like this and then you know what I just remind myself that there are so many people that I have never even seen in my class because they never come and on top of that there's so many people that are proper living the stereotypical UK uni lifestyle going out four to five times a week spending a lot of time hungover not going to class not doing any work and I'm sure you're probably doing more than that this is what I remind myself all the time you know there's probably some idiots in the past that have passed your course just fine but yeah I do this all the time and I convince myself that my mark's gonna be so bad I'm like oh my god that was pathetic like I should have put way more effort into that like I have all these ideas in my head of all these things I should have done and I should have included and I literally convince myself I fucked it and I tell my parents and I'm like mom dad I've actually fucked it this time like I know I've done well up until now but like I'm telling you know like this one don't be expecting much like might even feel it and then it comes back and it's literally a good mark I don't know my brain honestly do you know what's very relevant to this topic is last episode's words of the week do you remember what was it as long as you're trying you're probably doing better than you think I feel like that is very relevant for imposter syndrome especially when it comes to uni do you know what I find the easiest way to work at uni I am not one of those people that can sit down I cannot go to the library from nine to five or anything like that see people that do really heavy intense degrees where they really have to treat it like a full-time job don't know how they do it (laughs) But what I have discovered the best way for me anyway is to either go in early when I have class or to stay late after. I despise traveling in peak traffic times. So I refuse to get the bus. When I finish class at like four or five o'clock, I refuse to get the bus home at that time. So I'll just go to the library after till like seven. Once traffic's calmed down, I know I'll get home in 10 minutes. Or if I'm up early enough to go in early, I'll do that. Yeah, I just find times like that where you know it's only for a short period, I find I get a lot more done instead of trying to sit for like a whole day because I'll just sit and procrastinate in that time because I know I've got the whole day to do things. But yeah, imposter syndrome at uni is very real, but it's also not very necessary because at the end of the day, we're all literally kids. (laughs) This is what I tell myself all the time. I'm a kid, leave me alone. That would actually be probably way more justifiable if I was actually 18 fresh from school but the fact that I'm sitting here saying that at the age of 24 is a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> Do you know what uni is all about though? It's all about finding ways and hacks like little life hacks ways you can work smarter and not harder. That's what I've discovered. Like when I first started I genuinely thought you had to read every single book that they were telling you was on the reading list every single article the whole way through I was like, where do people get, where are people getting the hours in the day? Because the math isn't mathing for me because I'm struggling to get through one of these things in a day. (laughs) And then, I don't know, you just learn to work smarter, not harder, especially when you come to do your dissertation. Let me tell you that. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap it up there for this week's episode. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed episode seven of the girly chats mod that there's been that many of them thank you all for sending in your dilemmas and trusting me to give my advice big shout out to george gill for my intro and outro music i will leave all his links in the description as always thank you all so much for your continued love and support if you enjoyed this episode and you want to give it a little five-star review on spotify or apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast please do please share it with your friends your family on your instagram stories send me photos of where you're listening to the podcast out and about i love seeing it 
I love you all so much and I'll speak to you in next week's episode. Bye.